0: me today if you would, to the book of acts this week we're going to try to complete last week's message <laughs> we'll try no promises we'll try acts chapter 26 let's begin with a word of prayer father we come before you to focus on you to tune our hearts and our ears into your word as we have sung, father we we pray that it was a sweet sweet sound to your ears and father that 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 sweetness comes from the genuineness of our hearts and our praise and adoration of You. As we again look into Acts and, and continue along with Paul, Father, we thank You for his life and his testimony. We thank You for the testimony of other Christians down through the ages who through their lives, through their testimonies, we can stand firm on the foundations that You laid and that they built upon. And Father, help us to continue to build well upon their testimony and their witness. So Father, as our singing and and our offerings to You, and now the hearing of Your Word, We pray that it all would be a sweet sound to your ear of worship, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Last week we began our our 26th chapter in the book. There's only two more after this one, and no, I'm not going to finish chapter 26 today. Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 26 next week, but... um, just, just where we were last week, uh, Paul is uh, in his fifth defense uh, since the the Jews accosted him in the temple, originally in Jerusalem. Now he's in Caesarea. It's his fifth defense, and he's in front of Herod Agrippa, and and as as well as as the go- the can't say two words at once, John. The governor Festus. There we go. Uh, he's before Festus, and and he's giving. His, his longest, uh, shall we say, speech uh, in, in the defense of the Gospel early on, we know that the Jews were accusing him of defiling the temple. And Paul has intentionally taken the focus off of that charge and into the charge that he's being charged with the fact that he's preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Christ did indeed rise from the dead. And, and we know that the Sadducees we're not about that they didn't believe that they didn't believe in the supernatural they didn't believe that God could raise people from the dead and and but but paul's trying to get the message across that Paul did indeed in fact raise his son from the dead after he died on the cross for our sins and so in this twenty sixth chapter he's he's uh, basically giving his testimony to Agrippa and if you look uh chapter 25, verse 23. And so on the next day, Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp, and they entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus. Paul was brought in. But Paul, Paul really isn't playing to his audience. He, he's, not, he's not spending a lot of his time focusing on, uh, on all the dignitaries that are there. He's focusing his testimony on Agrippa. Agrippa has been placed by Rome over in charge of Jerusalem and the temple. And, and so Agrippa knows a lot of the history of the Jews, and he knows what they're about and, and that they follow wh- who they declare to be the one true God. And, and Agrippa has some understanding, and Paul addresses that in the first couple of verses of chapter 26. And then he begins, after he, he makes his little introduction to Agrippa there, and, and he says at the end of verse 2, I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you're an expert in all the customs and questions among the Jews. And then he begins, and, and we, did, we covered last week in, in verse 4 through 8, that a Pharisee, there's, there's no Pharisee that's been more of a Pharisee than, than Paul. He persecuted the church because it was something that was in contrast to what the Jews were used to. They They were looking for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah had come, they had crucified Him, and He had returned to heaven, and they still missed the fact that Messiah had come. And they basically missed the boat. I see some of you nodding your heads like, can't believe those Jews did that. Maybe we wouldn't have done any better. But they missed the fact. And and, and Paul wants Agrippa to to hear this opportunity one more time to, to preach the truth to Agrippa. So that maybe, maybe, Agrippa would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because as we know, Peter was the, the apostle that went primarily to the Jews and Paul was primarily to the Gentiles. And, and Paul is taking this opportunity uh, to, to preach to one of the chief Gentiles in, in that part of the world and in that region. In verse 6 he said uh, that he was standing trial for the hope of the promise made to God by our fathers. In other words, and we talk, just touched this briefly towards the end last week. Paul wasn't preaching anything new. And he wanted Agrippa and everybody that was there to know and understand that that what he was saying wasn't so far off. He he didn't concoct this up in his own mind. This had been foretold in prophecies in the Old Testament that that Messiah was going to come. He was going to be killed and he was going to raise from the dead. So Paul says, this promise was made to God by our fathers. This isn't something I'm making up new. Then he continues on, uh, verses 9 through 11, talking about, uh, as a Pharisee, the, the punishment that he carried out on, on the way, those that believed in Christ. That he, he had some killed and he threw many more in prison. And he's on his way to Damascus and and the whole time he he has the blessing of the high priest and the Pharisees in carrying this out. Because Saul thought that that this way was totally delusional. He thought that it was... uh, he, He sincerely believed that Jesus Christ was a farce. And so that's why he's persecuting the way and the believers, people that, that believed in Jesus Christ and that He had in fact been resurrected from the dead. And He's on His way up to Damascus with letters from the high priest to go and, and, and take into custody, throw him in prison. If there's an opportunity to may, maybe kill some, He's already uh, proven that he's, he's not shy about some of them being killed. He's okay with that. He was there when Stephen was stoned. So we pick up in verse 12. He's on his way. He says, While thus engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we all fall, had, excuse me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We briefly started into this this portion of the Scripture last week, and we we looked at Acts 9-7. And when, which was the, the original uh, record that Luke put by the direction of the Holy Spirit into the book of Acts, uh, talking of Paul's conversion. That was the, the original event. And then in chapter 229, in one of his first defenses, he was relaying his testimony again, and, and the third time we're seeing it here in Acts. And there was just a slight slight discrepancy, some uh, of those those passages, one said they heard a voice and another said they heard a sound. Well, as I as I say here, in verse 14 as Christ is talking, He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The point that was, the, the message, this message that Christ was saying was not for those that were traveling with Saul. This message was very specifically for Saul. They probably heard a sound they may even heard a voice, but they, didn't, they weren't able to discern what was being said. It wasn't meant for them. It was meant for Saul. And Saul, quite obviously, heard exactly what Jesus was saying to him. So he says, I, I heard a voice. And Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? Let's see here. Um, Though the message was just for Paul, they all fell to the ground because of the glory of God, because of the brightness of this light that was in the sky. And I know we, I, I'd like to talk about at Christmas time when the angels came to the shepherds and it said that the glory of the Lord shone round about. And the, the angel delivers the message and then a host of the heavenly angels appeared with them. And I said, well, when the host appeared, did it get any brighter? No! It didn't get any brighter because there was already the glory of the Lord shining. It's not, it, it don't get no gooder than that, okay? It's not going to get any brighter. The glory of the Lord is there in that place. And when the glory shone on, on the traveling party that Paul was with on the way to Damascus, they all fell to the ground. Every one of them. Even though the specific message wasn't for them, they saw the light and they couldn't, they couldn't withstand against it. They fell to the ground, all of them. Paul, he says, who art thou? In verse 15, he asked the Lord, who art thou? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but arise and stand. Turn with me if you would to Isaiah 6. When, when th- this is part of, uh, although it's not all recorded here and, and, and Paul doesn't go into it in great length here, God was used to giving messages to His messengers, to His prophets. If we would look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is talking to Isaiah. And then I heard of the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me and he said go and tell this people keep on listening but they keep on listening but do not perceive they keep on looking but they do not understand and god's giving isaiah a very direct message a very direct responsibility to go and tell them over to jeremiah chapter 1 Jeremiah 1, beginning in verse 7. But the Lord said to me, again, this is, the last one was Isaiah, this is Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stretched out his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And then to Ezekiel chapter 1. I think somebody took Ezekiel out of my Bible. There we go. <laughs> Let's see. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Sound familiar? I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Chapter 2. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Verse 3. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel to a rebellious people who rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Verse 7. You shall speak my words to them whether they listen or not for they are rebellious. And he he's repeatedly told Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel to go and share the message. Tell the message. And that's what Paul is doing. And if we go back to Acts, again, just back up to verse 6 quickly. For now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. Again, Paul is not making this up this, this is, and, and the Pharisees would know this, and they're, because they were very well versed in the, the books of the old. They knew that God had come to the prophets specifically and said this. And so it shouldn't be a shock that, that Jesus speaks to Paul here, Saul, excuse me. In verse 14, he's, he's Paul by now, but he's, he's telling the story back to his conversion, back to chapter 12 before he was a, a believer, before he was a follower of Jesus. Verse 16, Christ said to him, but arise and stand on your feet. I automatically in my mind go to the picture. Stand firm. Stand firm standing in the middle of the Jordan River at flood stage. And, and whenever that term, and I, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know the Greek word specifically for that, but whenever that word was used to the Jews, they had in their minds this picture, this word picture, of standing in the middle of the Jordan River, and you know how rocks can be slippery sometimes that are in the water? But not only are you going to stand firm on those rocks in the middle of the river, you're going to stand firm on the rocks in the middle of the river during the flood stage. When the the water's up to here. If you listen and follow the words. and, And Paul is saying these were the words that God gave to our fathers. It's not new. I'm not making it up. It is God's words. Arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you. We have the, uh, a, a small picture here. You're all familiar with the phrase, uh, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? Think of that past, present, and future here. Christ says, For this purpose I have appeared to you. To appoint you a minister and a witness. I have appeared. That's past tense. I have appeared. Continuing on, verse 16 there. To be a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. That He is seeing now in the present. And on to verse 17, delivering you from the Jews excuse me, from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. You're going in the future. I am sending you to the to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he, he every time he would go to one of the Gentile cities as he went through Asia Minor and Greece and over to Corinth and Athens. He would always go to the he would always go to the, the Jewish temple there first, the synagogue. Because he wanted his brothers to know the truth. But then primarily, and and it wouldn't be long, we'd joke and laugh that when Paul preached, it was either a revival or a riot, right? And more often than not, when he went to the synagogues in those cities that God sent him to, there'd be a riot and they'd chase him out of the, the synagogue. And so then he would turn to the Gentiles, which as we know from this right here was his real ministry, his real mission, was to share the Gospel with the Gentiles in those places. He says to the in, in, to the Jewish people from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you in, in the future. It was to be after after this conversion event. After seeing the, the, the glory of the Lord shine from heaven. Tony Moreta in his book on Acts says, Paul didn't make up this message. He's simply preaching the fulfillment of this great hope which culminates in the risen Messiah. We know that as we've gone through the book of Acts, that Christ fulfilled the law, Christ fulfilled the temple, and Christ fulfilled prophecy. He, and, and Like Tony says, he's simply preaching the fulfillment of this great hope. This great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to, to Job 19. Job 19, 25. Oh, let me start in 23. All that my words were written, all that they were inscribed in a book with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will make His stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Turn over to Psalm 16. Should have told you to wear your jogging shoes today. Psalm 16, 8 through 11. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol. Neither wilt thou allow your Holy One to undergo decay. That talks about the time that he was in the grave. That Jesus Christ was in the grave. Normally by the third day that the body's in the grave, it starts to stink because it's decaying. Jesus Christ's body did not endure any decay. And this is what he's talking about here in verse 10. Verse 11, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forever. We talk about going home. Going home to heaven. And the joy and the, the pleasures that we will have in eternity with our Lord and Savior. That this, this is just a temporary shell. This is just a temporary existence here. It's to get us ready. And, and when we sing, just think of it as, as you're, you're practicing for heaven someday. So when you sing, you ought to do it with your whole heart and do the best job you can. Because it's for Him. And it's to His glory. And what we have to look forward to. This is what Paul is preaching about is the hope the hope that we have. Again, a couple of weeks ago we had communion and we led into 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is writing to the church at, at Corinth while he's in Ephesus, two or three years before this part of the book of Acts. And he says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is still dead. Your faith is dead if He's dead. And the only reason your faith is alive is because he is alive. He is risen. He is risen okay, there we go. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen Amen. We're practicing for Easter. Easter is not too far away, okay? He, he is risen, and this is the, Paul, the hope that, that Paul is preaching, the hope that he wants Agrippa to understand. Psalm 73. Verse 24. With with your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. That's our hope. That's our destination. That's our goal. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy for your dew is as the dew of the dawn and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits Daniel chapter 2 I'm sorry Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 Daniel 12:2 And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Cyprian was an early historian around the year 200. And I'm going to read just a short piece on him. He says, Cyprian was one of the early writers who lived in the era 200s. Said that if it were not for the plagues, Christianity would never have swept North Africa. He said that the plagues were what did it. Because Christians died better. The pagans said of the Christians, they carried their dead as in triumph. Where is all this hope coming from? We'd like to have hope too. And so the Christians would witness to the saving grace of Jesus because Christians die differently. So Paul says grieve, but not as one who doesn't have any hope. You have to be careful how you word this, but I I enjoy doing the funeral of someone that I know was a believer in Jesus Christ. Because we cry, we mourn. We will forever remember them. But we know that we will see them again. We know that we have hope. The world world cries in, in a grief that we don't know because they have no hope. They have no hope. But we have hope in Jesus Christ. And what a a testimony that the Christians died better. And that they buried their their dead from the plague in North Africa. They died better because there was a hope. It wasn't a, a finality. It wasn't the finish line. It wasn't the end. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning when we get home, guys. It is just the beginning. So Paul wants Agrippa to know the truth. Somebody last week mentioned to me after the sermon, "So you bit off too much last week, huh, Pastor? And I said, yep, I did. I did. I should know better. I should know better by now. But I'm gonna. I want to take since I do have a few extra minutes today. This this the time it determines whether I was going to read this whole passage or not. But I want to begin reading in Isaiah 52 verse 13, and I'm going to read through the end of chapter 53. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servants will prosper. He will be high and lifted up, and greatly exalted. Just as many are astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than any of the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So He did not open His mouth. By oppression and judgment, He was taken away. And as for His generation was considered, that He was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of My people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet He was with a rich man in His death, because He had done so no violence, nor was there any deceit in His mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief. If He would not render Himself as a guilt offering, He will not see His offspring. He will prolong His days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. As a result of the anguish of His soul, He will see it and be satisfied, and by His knowledge the righteous one, My servant, will justify the many, as He will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot Him a portion with the great, and He will divide the booty with the strong, because He has poured out Himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He Himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors back to acts 26 Paul has had a or Saul has had a conversion experience like none of us have ever had What a privilege. And and, and with the dedication that he went about to destroy the way, that he went about to destroy believers in the Messiah, that he was so wrong about, now God's going to take that same energy and turn it and use it for the kingdom of heaven. To use Paul to spread the Gospel all over Asia Minor, up through Macedonia, uh, let's see, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, and then down to Athens and Corinth. Paul was greatly used by the Lord. But he's not done here. Verse 19, consequently, King Agrippa, and, and his, his, his reference a couple times throughout the, this defense, this, this testimony time, just just makes it very personal to, that he's speaking right to King Agrippa. He, he wants King Agrippa to get the message, even if nobody else does. He'd love for everybody to to accept Christ, but he's very specifically pointing to Agrippa. Verse 19, Consequently, King Agrippa did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, after he received the sight again. He stayed there and, and testified. He had, some, he had some retooling to do. He had, he had, he, he, he had to get some of the, the disciples of Jesus to believe that, that He was truly now a believer, that He wasn't just playing the game to play both sides of the coin so He could persecute them. A little, little bit of retooling to do. So He spent some time in Damascus there. And also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying to both great and small, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. That the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of His resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. If you look, remember back in verse 16, Christ says to Saul, Arise and stand. And in verse 22, Paul is saying to Agrippa, I stand to this day testifying of the truth of Jesus Christ. On October 31st, 1517, a, a fellow was approaching, he was, a, he was a Catholic monk, and he approached the church doors to the church of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. October 31st, the next day is All Saints Day. And for the Catholics, that was a feast day. A big celebration. And people would, it, it, it was a happening thing. And people would come to town a couple days early because they they wanted to be there for every part and parcel of the celebration. And it was often a time where where, uh, people would post things on the church door if it was an announcement about this meeting or somebody was looking for somebody. But Martin Luther went and posted his 95 theses on that door. He didn't do it to, to... stir up. He didn't do it to cause a revolution. He did it to stir the conversation, to stir the discussion of what, whether everything that the Roman Catholic Church was doing was correct. And I'm not here to debate that this morning. That's not why I'm bringing up Martin Luther. But later, as he is testifying at the Council at Worms, and he said, he "Basically, either recant of what you posted, or you're going to die. We're going to murder you." And and Martin Luther there says his famous quote: "Here I stand. I can do no other." It's what Paul's saying to Agrippa: "Here I stand." I can do no other but tell you of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you listening, King Agrippa? Are you listening? Because no matter what has been done to me, in he, he mentioned just before that that the Jews tried to kill him at the temple in Jerusalem. He says if that's what it takes, just like Martin Luther said, But basically, if that's what it takes, I take my stand. I'm going to take my stand on the Word of God. He says, what I want you to know, King Agrippa, is that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And He is the light. He is the light. Father, Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God for men like Paul and Luther and others that that were willing to sacrifice their lives for the, the name of Jesus Christ. Father, your son gave his life so that we might have salvation. The only thing our lives will do is to, to, to show that we're being obedient we're willing to, to, to know that, that to, to live is, to, is Jesus Christ, but to die is gain. To, to come home to heaven is, is what we're looking forward to, Father. And as times get tougher in our country here, help us to be bolder. Help us to stand. Because we can do no other. We have no other options, Father, but to stand for You and to stand for the name of Jesus Christ. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.